Yeah, so thank you, all, thank you all for coming. This is uh, one of four sessions that uh, we do under something called Explore the Word. So Explore the Word uh, uh, here at St Mary's is kind of like the, the title that we use for all of the teaching that we give. And um, I'm sure a few of you know that I'm the teaching pastor here and I'm desperate to do some teaching because we haven't done any uh, because of, uh, of lockdown. Uh, and so, uh, and I felt a little bit guilty, to be honest, about not kind of really pulling my weight. So, um, so we're doing four. I'm doing four sessions every fortnight, um, Monday evening. This is the first of them where we're looking at the Holy Spirit role, fruit and uh, gifts. Uh, two weeks and then the second one will be on Bible, the Bible and Prejudice. So um, obviously it will include racism, but it isn't entirely about racism, but it's about all kinds of forms of prejudice and what the Bible has to say about it. The uh, third session will be uh, called Jonah, um, A Story of Grace. Uh, for those of you who know me, grace is my big thing. I can't do a teaching session without doing grace at some point. Uh, so Jonah, A Story of Grace. And then uh, the final session uh, is maybe somewhat, somewhat controversial, but I'd like to take, not controversial, but I'd like to take topical things on. The final one is... Uh, the Bible and culture wars. So um, that's going to hopefully get everybody up to speed with uh, the kind of things that are going on around us that we probably um, are aware of, but can't necessarily put names to or, or have an idea about what the trend might be. So, so that's it. So you're welcome to come to, uh, to uh, any of and all of those if you can. Uh, it will be great to see you. Shall we start with a prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight. And my prayer for this evening is not that we would know about the Holy Spirit, but that we would know the Holy Spirit. We would know the trans transformative power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we learn more about the Holy Spirit in our minds. To the glory of your name. Amen. Okay, so what I'm doing tonight uh, will be finished by 9.30. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be nice and open, so ask as many questions as you want. Uh, if I don't answer them. Those on the Monday group who are here today will know that I put them in what I call a stack. Uh, and the stack on Monday sometimes gets very big, um, which means that you know, I'll pick them up at a later point if it doesn't fit in with, uh, with what I'm, I'm doing uh, at the time. But just ask any questions, as interactive as you want. Um, this is, uh, I'm doing in one session what I have in the past, some time ago now, um, done in two sessions. That's why you've got um, two uh, lots of notes. Uh, I think they're, you know, they're reasonably comprehensive. There's an awful lot of stuff on here. We might not necessarily go into all of it tonight, and we certainly won't have time to go into all of the scripture. But I think it's very important, very important when you're making a point that you have the scripture to back up the point you're making. So uh, if you wanted to go through it, 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 it would be there. So the subject is, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Okay, so that's what we're going to start with. And the most important thing I think about, one of the most important things about the Holy Spirit is to know that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as, as, as having feelings, as having a voice, and as having a will. Okay, in, in feelings, um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So therefore, it's possible for us to make the Holy Spirit sad. Uh, Acts um, 13 verse 2 says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. So this is Holy Spirit being uh, the voice, and as we'll see later, the voice of God. And also, the Holy Spirit has a will. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11 says, All these, and now we're talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit here, uh, are the works of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one 
just as he determines. So in other words, the Holy Spirit decides who gets the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or rather the gifts that are given, not who gets, but rather uh, the gifts that are given, um, they are given by the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit can intentionally do something. If the Holy Spirit can intentionally do something, the Holy Spirit has a will. Having a voice, having a feeling, having a will are personal characteristics. They're characteristics of a person. Now, there was some excitement um, some time ago <coughs> about the, the kind of the possibility of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit being a woman um, or having a female personal pronoun. But I think that quite a lot of that came from um, a grammatical confusion. So in a sense that there is a difference between a grammatical gender and uh, a physical gender. So what do I mean by that? A grammatical gender, if you are in the German language, for example, or if you are in Latin-based languages, um, the German word for spirit is Geist, der Geist. Der is a masculine, um, so it's a masculine noun. So in German, if you say Holy Spirit, you would use a masculine personal pronoun, he. If you are using in a Semitic language, like um, Hebrew uh, or like Aramaic, um, it's actually feminine. The word spirit would have, the prefix for that would be, would be feminine. The important thing in this is I don't think the Holy Spirit really has a gender. Um, and there's a difference between a, uh, a physical uh, gender and a grammatical gender. Um, but if I do slip into using a personal pronoun, I will use the personal pronoun he because... Um, the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus, both of whom have male personal pronouns. Uh, if that, if that, is that what we've just given them that um, We've just given... Um, yeah, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use he. And, and it was just in the Bible, wasn't it? When it says all of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and all these are the works of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So, um, is that okay? So I'm going to try and use Holy Spirit, but the most important thing is the Holy Spirit is not an it. Not. Don't, don't use it when you describe the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is described in the Bible as um, a person, and therefore has a personal pronoun. Okay, the second, the second point is that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Okay. Now, we're going to look at that in, in greater detail soon. The, the word Trinity, to my knowledge, and I, I think a lot of you know, I read the Bible roughly every nine to ten months, the whole thing, and then I start again. Uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Um, it came uh, towards the end of the second century uh, when people were trying to describe this concept of, um, of three persons uh, in one. So um, Trinity literally means triunity. Three in one, um, so God in three persons. So if you look in, if you look in your notes, um, there are six ba- uh, basic steps to understanding the Trinity, and this is using uh, biblical verses to construct the case for this three in one God. Um, and the case, I, I quite like this. Is, I'm, I'm a mathematician, so I quite like it when you have a sort of logical proof where you can follow a sequence through and the logical proof is this there is one God God the Father is God God the Son is God God the Holy Spirit is God 
those three things are distinct, they're different, therefore a three in one God. So let's so let's just let's just look at that. There is one God. I'm just going to give you if I give you all a verse, and then we can just um, so if somebody wants to do um, Deuteronomy chapter six verse four, could you do that, please, Paul? Um, Two Peter one verse seventeen. Uh, could you do that, please, Pauline? There's a Bible that's close. Don't worry if you. Don't want to do it, or two Peter one seventeen uh, for you, please, Pauline. Um, where are we? Let's, Gav. Can you do John chapter one verse one? Uh, Ron, can you do he Acts? So um, I'll, I'll give you the page. Um, Acts chapter five, verse three to four. And your page, Ron, is 1094. Who have we got? Kirsten, would you mind doing um, uh, Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17? And then, who have we got? Uh, Peter or Faye? Uh, Peter, could you do Genesis 1, verse 26? And then Faye... No, I need a King James Version for the final one. (laughs) Uh, Can you do 1 John, chapter 5, verse 7, please, Faye? But I'm going to read the King James Version, which is a bit different. But you can have a look and see what it says in the NIV. So just to run through that again, there's one God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. Those three are distinct, therefore, three persons, one God. Okay, so <laughs> I have no idea where we were. Who had, uh, who had Deuteronomy 6 verse 4? I don't know. Oh, no, I don't think so, Pauline. I think, sorry, I think Pauline's was... Uh, where were you, Pauline? I think you you were two Peter one verse seventeen, oh, is that okay? Two Peter, one, yeah, Peter. way towards the back. Um, so, um, sorry, I can I grab the get the page. Um, two Peter, sorry. That's it. Great. It's one Peter. Sorry, two Peter one seventeen, and then we'll just read we we'll just read them all back to back. Okay. So Paul. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Jesus said the same thing uh, when he was summarising the Ten Commandments. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is He started with the same thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Thank you, Paul. Pauline? He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, I don't think that's probably, I think all the best choice of verses in terms of God the Father is God, but uh, there are lots of verses that would say in the Bible that God the Father was God. So um, thank you, Pauline. Um, the Son, Jesus is God. Again, lots of verses. I mean, this is the very reason that Jesus was crucified. 
was that he claimed to be God, which for the Jews was blasphemy. We looked at that in a, a Monday group this morning. So who, who had that? Um, John 1, verse 1. That's me. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Good. The Word, this, this, the title of the Word is, is given to Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. So in that verse you see that Jesus, uh, Jesus is in some way distinct from God, but at the same time is God. We'll have a look at that in a minute. Who's next? Um, this is the Holy Spirit is God, actually. is not quite so easy to find. So someone got Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Who was doing that? That was me. Chapter 5. Verse 3 to 4. I don't think this is the one I was looking for. Uh, yep. Please. Yeah, don't worry. Um, let's just give you a hand. Acts 5. Acts 5. And verses... Three to four. Yeah, Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, yeah. 3 and 4. Don't worry if you can't do it wrong. It's, um, it's down at the bottom of page 1096. Yeah, that's 2. It starts, then Peter said... Oh, maybe three. Yeah. yeah. Then Peter said... Amen. Ananias, Ananias mm-hmm. how is it that Satan has so filled you with your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was said, sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? I'm sorry. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Okay. Yeah, so in the beginning we see um, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, we hear in verse 3, and then in verse 4 it says you've lied to God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is God. Um, and then we have uh, where, who was doing Matthew 3 verses 3 to 17 um, is it 13 to 17 sorry 13 to 17 you're right yep great thank you then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John but John tried to deter him saying I need to be baptised by you and do you come to me Jesus replied let it be so now it is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness then John consented as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Brilliant. Thanks, Kirsten. So this is a very important um, uh, moment. This is where God the Father, you hear the voice of God the Father, you see the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit as a dove, and the, uh, the and, and Jesus in his uh, human body at the same place at the same time God the Father the voice God the Holy Spirit the dove uh, Jesus the man uh, being baptised okay so you can see that they're distinct that that's the 
The Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus are different. But each one is God. Um, you also remember that, that in the Great Commission, it says at the very end of it, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Three distinct differences. And then uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I think that was you, Peter. Uh, and God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, all the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Brilliant. Okay, let, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. God was always in relationship in the Trinity. I used, to th- I used to think, I've had all sorts of think- thoughts that, that sometimes I work through and sometimes they're still there. But I, I used to wonder if God got bored before the angels, before the, uh, the creation, before us. And then I realised that God was never bored because God was always in relationship. Always in relationship. And God always being in relationship is uh, uh, the way that he's modelled us to be. We are meant to be in relationship. Firstly with him then with each other, and ironically, also with ourselves. This is what Jesus said, love, your, love, your, love God first, and then your neighbour as yourself. Okay, there's a verse um, that you have, uh, Faye, which, if you read the verse in the NIV, I'll read it in the, in the, New, in the King James. Okay. Well, there are three that testify. Okay, there are three that testify. In the King James Version, it says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Okay, if you're of a certain age, the Holy Spirit used to be called the Holy Ghost. Um, And uh, in the King James Version of that verse that you just read, it says, um, these three bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus, we've already seen that uh, phrase used for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So I'm going to try and come up with some kind of analogy to help us to try to uh, conceptualise how this trinity might work. Uh, St August- Augustine, who was a, an early church father uh, in the 4th century, a uh, theologian and philosopher, said this, he said, anyone who denies the trinity is in danger of losing his salvation. Anyone who tries to understand it is in danger of losing his mind. <coughs> and, uh, and, and this is... This is quite tricky. So there have been a number of different analogies used to try to describe this three-in-one God, and there is only one, and perhaps Paul could add a second one because I've forgotten what it is, but I think it's to do with molecules. Um, There there is only one which I think really works well, but we'll we'll come on to that. So what people have used is uh, they've used in the past um, a clover leaf, where you have, but the problem is, is that the leaf is is not clover. So, well, so in, in, the, in the Trinity analogy, the Holy Ghost, the, the different persons are also individually God. So in a three-leaf clover, the leaf isn't the clover, is it? It's just the leaf. So that has a limitation. We have a, a three-pronged fork. Um, again, the prong isn't the fork. So that doesn't work. Um, an analogy I use, which is also limiting, is that... Um, it, it, is that, so take me, for example. I am a son, 
a father and a husband. Okay? So you could say that I'm intrinsically Carl, but I have three different roles. It's fine for roles, but I don't have three different persons. So there's, there's, a, 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 there's a limit to that, isn't there? Um, C.S. Lewis used this kind of idea of, of space, where you've got length, you've got width, and you've got height, uh, uh, but they all can coincide in the same place. But the problem is, is that height isn't the same as width, isn't, isn't the same as length. They, they all have limitations. There's only one which I think works. So what, so what we have as, as the Trinity... If I draw this... Can you see this? Is this yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have different roles. But the, the important thing is they have the same essential characteristics. They have the same character. If I were the only example I think that works, for me it works well is that believe it or not, there is, a, it's called a triple point, there is a temperature and a pressure at which water can be steam, liquid and ice. So, if I were to do it for water, water, H2O, we have ice, steam, and liquid water. Liquid water is not ice, ice is not steam, steam is not liquid water. But all three are H2O. Is that okay? Is that okay? Um, right, we're, we're running out of. I'm going to have to write over things. Okay, so um, Let's move on to the roles of the Holy Spirit then. I'm going to have to pace myself well here. Okay, the roles of the Holy Spirit. The first role of the Holy Spirit... Again, I've got to call them before circle.
The first role of the Holy Spirit is to restore. Is to restore. So the key verse we need to look at here is John 16, verses um, 8 to 11. Somebody could find that, please. You see, the biggest problem that... I know that you you guys know this, but forgive me for reminding you. Um, The biggest problem the Bible says that we have on earth is not climate change, is not hunger, it's not poverty, it's not uh, uh, war. The Bible says that the biggest problem that we have here on earth is sin. And this sin is what separates us from being in relationship with God, both now and forever. And so that's the reason Jesus came. The reason Jesus came was to provide us with a solution. Um, The Bible describes sin as being something which is basically an accumulated debt, and someone will pay the price for that debt, whether it's us or whether it's Jesus. And so Jesus came to make the way back for us to God, despite our sin, when we ourselves could never be good enough. We could never work hard enough. We could never get rid of that sin in and of ourselves. It only had to come through Jesus. So the first, and is it the most important role of the Holy Holy Spirit? I I think it's got to be right up there. Is the Holy Spirit is working um, in the hearts and minds of men and women who don't yet know Jesus to point them to Jesus. And for those of us who do know Jesus... The Holy Spirit is working on us to convict us of what we're doing wrong and to help us to repent and to change. The role of the Holy Spirit is to restore us to right relationship with God. This is, I think, probably the prime role of the Holy Spirit is is to do that. There's so many things that the Holy Spirit does. But I think the Holy Spirit is the one who says to us, whether we're Christians or not, uh, it, it's, it's reminding us or giving that uneasy feeling that I think there's something wrong. Or rather, it came to my attention that something was wrong. So, it, so would that be what C.S. Lewis classes as their conscience? Yeah. Conscience. Uh, interesting. Conscience, conscience, I, conscience is given by God as a moral compass to help us determine right from wrong. So this, the, argument, this, the, the argument that you'll have with, with atheists is that, is that uh, there isn't such a thing as right and wrong. There's no, there's no absolutes. And you know, the theist would say, uh, with, uh, and in a sense that's right, because without God you can't have uh, you know, a right and wrong. Um, like keeping you on a straight and narrow. Yeah. So, uh, so God implanted in all of us, yes, this, this, I, this thing called a conscience, which is... In intuitively, intrinsically pointing out right and wrong. However, a conscience is not infallible. You, people, you, consciences can be corrupted and some people really don't have one or at least they don't appear to have one or they've overridden it so much as if it doesn't have any effect. So a, a, a conscience in and of itself I don't think is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's something which is in, innate within us. The Holy Spirit could use our conscience to prick our conscience and but I think the Holy Spirit is working, is working in conjunction with our conscience, but our conscience is not the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> you might want to, it's one of those that you probably go away and think about. I'm going to go away and think about it as well because I haven't. Find a job. Really? What, one of the jobs, yeah. So let's, let's go to this first. So, so John chapter 16. The Holy Spirit is, is a disturber of the status quo. The Holy Spirit makes us feel uncomfortable. And the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. When the Holy Spirit is, is, is in a sense, after you, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. Okay, so let's do the um, John chapter 16. And what did I say the verses were? Um, 8 to 11. 8 to 11, yeah. Does somebody like to read that? Uh, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness. Because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Okay, good. So let's take those three things. So, so the Holy Spirit is, um, is to convince the world, to convict the world of sin. Okay, this is the first thing that, that, that's mentioned. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? The, the Holy Spirit, basically, it could use, the Holy Spirit can use our conscience. But the, the thing with that is that the, the Holy Spirit is convincing us of the things that we actually know about ourselves. And and is help and helps us to admit them. We have been having a conversation on, on the Monday group about whether anyone's actually good. Whether, you know, where we might describe ourselves as good or somebody else as good, but I don't know about you guys. I'm sure that you know what you have thought at some point in your life, what you are capable of thinking, what you may have done that nobody else knows. And I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, will have looked in the mirror at some point in your life and said, I don't like what I see very much. That you can't even come up to our own standards. And if we can't come up to our own standards, we've fallen short. But, and this is the great news, if the Holy Spirit gets through to us and convinces us of our sin, that's the start. That's the start. Jesus said, I did not come to save the righteous but I came to save sinners. So Jesus was basically saying, if you think you're good enough, I can't save you. But if you acknowledge that you're a sinner, that's the start. If you acknowledge that you have sinned, but, but, and this is the mind-blowing part, that despite all of that stuff, God still loves you. So does the Holy Spirit enable us to be the person God created us to be? If the Holy Spirit, in, yes, in, in summary, it's a kind of language that I push back from a little bit, but yes, if, if you want, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the role of the Holy Spirit, the first role of the Holy Spirit is to get us back to God through Jesus. That's the first, and I think, prime role, actually, of the Holy Spirit because the Bible tells us that God wants all men to be saved. The Bible, the Bible does not tell us, despite what churches will tell you, the Bible does not tell us that God wants all men to be healed. I may, that may sound like a shocking thing to say, but it doesn't. 
It doesn't say that. The Bible does say that he, he wants, uh, God wants all men to be saved. I think, actually, in the context of eternity, what happens on this earth is a tiny, tiny, weeny, weeny little drop in the ocean. Much more important is what happens in the life to come. Of course it's important to be in right relationship with God in this life, and I'm so glad I gave my life to Jesus when I was six. That means I've been able to enjoy his peace and, and, and the, the hope and the confidence that comes from faith in him for longer in my life. But Jesus didn't come to die to ha- help us to have a great life here on earth. He came to save us from the consequences of our own sin. But so yes, you, you, yes is the answer, short answer to that, Pauline, sorry. So in, re- in regard to judgment, so the first thing is, uh, sorry, to sin. The second one is righteousness. So when Jesus was on earth, he was the physical embodiment of righteousness. It was easy for people to see what righteousness was. When Jesus left, the Holy Spirit now comes to convince us of righteousness. So how does he do that? He points out our unrighteousness. So it's, it's, that's also the job of the law. The job, job of the law in the Bible was to point our sin out to us so that we could see how far away we were from God and that the only way back to God was through Jesus. And then finally, in regard to judgment, the Holy Spirit is, is going to convince us that judgment is coming, but that death has been defeated because of Jesus' victory over Satan on the cross. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to, I think, yeah, I, worked in, I worked in a city, and um, some of the ways that I hear the gospel presented as a kind of lifestyle choice, come to Jesus and things will, your life will get better, would, to be honest with you, have been laughed at in the city. These were people who had, who had more than enough. They didn't need some kind of improvement in their lives. But a lot of them were uncomfortable with the potential that there may be somebody watching what they were doing and that there was a judgment to come. You've only, you've only got to see in, in, in the press right now with Boris and a whole load of other people how suddenly they're repentant when they've been found out. It, they're not really sorry at all. They're only sorry they've been caught. But this kind of idea that, that someone is watching what we do and there's a consequence for what we've That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings that on us. You know, we've, you, you, there's two arguments. The, the atheists will say that that's, you know, that someone has, we invent God to give ourselves meaning, purpose and value in our lives and to take away the fear of death uh, and the life uh, and judgment in the life to come. And, uh, but a believer would say the reason that we uh, seek for meaning and purpose and value outside of this, ourselves is because there is. And the reason that we're worried about, uh, you know, judgment in the life to come, again, is because there is. So there are always, always two sides to the coin, and that's the, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if we look, um, I'm just going to try and be a, a little bit briefer here. The Holy Spirit, if you look at the Old Testament, so let's go into um, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 to 21, and I'll find a page for if you'd want it. Um, 2 Peter... It's around about one twenty twenty, something like that. Yeah. One two twenty. Two Peter one verse twenty. Yes. It's on page one two two two. 
sorry, just to clarify, when I said that the, the Bible doesn't say that God wants everyone to be healed, I meant physically healed. If we were talking about being spiritually healed, about being spiritually made right with God, <laughs> the Bible does say that God does want that, and that's, um, that's what Jesus died for. Okay, so one, 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Could someone read that, please? you must understand that no prophecy of the scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. A prophecy never had its origin in the human world. The prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, good. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if we, if we look at the Old Testament, the first section of the Old Testament, we have the Torah, uh, and then we basically have history books running all the way up to Esther, then we have, uh, we have some poetry and some books of wisdom. And then we have the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets. Almost all of those prophets, I would say almost all of them. Potentially Daniel would be the exception. Uh, just about every single one of those prophets were used by God to turn either Israel or Judah back from their sins to restore them into relationship. And this verse here, when you read the Bible, the Bible always says when they were talking about prophecy and God said. But Peter's being more, he's expanded that, hasn't he? He said, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is working through prophets, calling people back to God. This is God's people calling God's people back to God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He calls people who don't know Jesus to Jesus, and he calls those of us who do know Jesus back to Jesus, or into repentance. It's repentance whether you're a believer or a non-believer. I think this is probably the main role of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has got phenomenal uh, things that, that we'll come on to. But this, I think, is actually the... And, and when we share our faith with somebody to tell them about Jesus, we are working with the Holy Spirit. We can't save anybody, but we're working with the Holy Spirit in helping to restore someone back into right relationship with God. Okay, so we'll move on. Um, I'll come back to some of those verses. If you've got a question, just chip in, please. So we're now coming on to the second thing. Renew, stroke, rebirth. Okay. So what, what is the role of, of the Holy Spirit here? Okay, so let's have a look at this. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. So that's roughly in the middle of the Bible, probably a bit to the right of centre. So, around about 800, 800 and something. 36. Yeah. 
So just before we do that, if you just want to go to your notes, please. And on the first page uh, of your notes, so I'll just let Pauline... Okay, Pauline, I'll, I'll give you time to get that later. Yeah, the, on the first page of your notes, after the, the three circles that I'm expanding on now, you'll see uh, at the top of the second page, at the top of page two, it says profits. Just below that, so we've already seen how the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament through the prophets, calling people back to the right relationship with God, calling them to repentance. The Holy Spirit is very prevalent in the Old Testament. But the important thing is that the Holy Spirit really is prevalent in the Old Testament as in what I would probably call cameo moments. When the Holy Spirit comes on somebody to give them supernatural power. So in the case of, of, of Samson, to his supernatural strength. In the case of um, uh, Saul, even, uh, to, to prophesy. In the case of uh, a man called um, Bezalel, who made the, um, the Ark of the Covenant. He was, he was lifted uh, by, by the Holy Spirit. into uh, his, his natural abilities were taken and lifted into, into the supernatural. The, the prepositions, so prepositions are little connecting words, by at, in, to, upon. In the Old Testament, we have those prepositions, those little prepositions are not in. The Holy Spirit comes on, on to, but the Holy Spirit doesn't come in. And so we have something radical that is prophesied in, um, in Ezekiel. So if we go to Ezekiel chapter 36... And verse uh, 26. There's a whole list there of, of appearances of the, old, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You can see it starts with um, Balaam. Um, and then the last one, well, David happens to be my last example. But there are lots. Examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon people or on people um, in the Old Testament. So now we're in Ezekiel chapter 20, 36. And it's verse 26 to 27. If somebody wouldn't mind reading that, please. Yeah, I'll read it. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the next, just a little, next little bit. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Brilliant. And I will put my spirit in you. This is, this is, this is a radical prophecy. Is that God is not going to be, and I'll come on to this later, I think one of the big things that the church today is missing, and we are talking about this on Monday, I certainly know that I've been missing it in my life. We, in my opinion, we talk too much about God being with us, God being beside us, God being before us. We do not talk anywhere near enough about God being in us. And as, as I was sharing with the Monday group, I'm, I'm, one of my prayers is that the Lord, before he takes me home or before he comes again, that I have a fraction of an understanding about what it means to live with God of all creation in me. So I can teach it. I can show you the verses. But am I living it out in my life? No, I'm not. I don't think I have a fraction, a tiny weeny fraction. What would change? What I think would change the lives of the average Christian more than anything else 
would be to have a proper understanding of the God of all creation living in you. I mean, sorry, I'm gonna, it's one of my things. But anyway, I, so these prepositions are important. In. That God... Fill, yeah, well, I'll, I'll come on to that. I'll hold that. I'll hold this kind of in and filling with the Holy Spirit. A feeling, it's more than a feeling, it's more, it's, um, because feelings can change. Feelings can often be dependent on circumstances. When the Holy Spirit comes in you and we have a a real understanding of what it means to to have the God of all creation living in us, it won't just be a feeling, it will be something that you know. It will be something that will be unchanging depending on the circumstances. So feelings can come up and down. Feelings would be, you know, I'm happy because things are going well or I'm sad because things are not going well. When you have an understanding of God living in you, I mean, the the Bible says that that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what is to come. And once we have that understanding, it will be more than a feeling, Pauline. I can't describe it because I don't really know. Would you know? I think if I have... I, I can promise you guys, if, if I get a fraction of, a, of what it means to have God living in me, you will know. I will, you, you will know. Because I will, be, I, will be, I will be moving differently. I will be moving in the power of the Spirit. I will have utmost confidence. Not an arrogance, I will have an utmost confidence. That's how we're meant to be living, I think. And because we don't really concentrate on what it means to have, have God of all creation living in us. Do you think it's ever happened? I think some people have done it. Yes, I think I think um, I, I think over history that, that you'll have. It, it, certainly, you, you can see Paul, for example. I think he was uh, as someone who understood understood what it was to have the God of all creation living in, in him. Don't get me wrong. Look, I, I'm t- I'm speaking for me. I'm sorry if if, if you guys have have got that uh, understanding, but I know that I don't. And. I became a Christian when I was six and I'm 59 now. That's 53 years of not really understanding what it means to have the God of all creation living in me. Does, does that mean, is it attainable? Yeah, it because the God of creation, if you're a Christian, the God of creation does live in you. That's what the word says in the whole of fullness of God dwells within Yes, yeah, but we don't, we don't live that way. No, we don't. No. It's, it's like, it's like, I don't know if you watch the... Um, Superman, his outer ego is Clark Kent, right? He, he's, I, I don't know if you don't know. Anyway, he, he's like a reporter who works in, 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 in New York and he, he, he's got glasses and he looks, you know, although he's pretty muscly, he still comes across as being sort of... Uh, but underneath, he's Superman, right? We know it. I think, you know, most Christians walk around like they're Clark Kent. When a God of all creation lives inside them and they're Superman. Or woman. That's what I think. Would the example be um, in the Old Testament when when Moses went into the tent and he met with God and then he came out and um, he's radiant and people could see God shining from him? Would that be an example? That that would be an example, only it kind of predates God being in us. But yes, that would be... I'm trying to think if I could think of 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 a better example. I need to think about that. Because that would have been a time when... God spoke with Moses face to face as a man with a friend. Um, and because of that level of intimacy and closeness with God that Moses faced did. But that was before the spirit was in us. So I'd have to think, but it, it's good, Gab, but I'd have to think. Okay, sorry. Um, Are you saying when we become Christian, the spirit 
is in us, but we're not living like that. So I've seen before the um, example of a gas boiler, isn't it, where you've got a pilot light. Yeah. So we're probably just all running with a pilot light, but then at times you get the, the flame comes on. Is that the sort of thing? No. Yeah, it's, it, um, yes and no. Um, Julie was referring to an example that um, I think Nikki Gumbel used in the Alpha Course, which is that when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes in you, it's like um, a pilot light on a gas boiler, uh, and that's always on. But there are times when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody and moves in power, and that's like this. Um, it's like the boiler comes on, but then it goes back to the it goes back to flame. That's when it kind of being filled with the Spirit or the Spirit moves in power. No, what I'm talking about is a lifelong understanding and a life lived out fully understanding that God, the God of all creation, lives in us. It's not like a, like a whoosh moment when the Holy Spirit comes down in power. It's more like an ongoing daily realisation that we are not, uh, that we are powered by the one who powered all things. A perfect person. Is a perfect person. No, I, I, it's a good point, Pauline. No, I'm not saying it would be perfect. No. I, I think that whilst we're here on earth, we're always going to be struggling with our, our sinful nature. And we were looking at a scripture this morning which says that the Holy Spirit and our sinful nature are basically in conflict. And that won't go. But what I do think is, and this understanding, sorry to have laboured the point, I, 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 it's something that I'm, that I'm really passionate about and I, I genuinely think that it would change the church more than anything else. We all know it. I mean, I'm sure that it, most people have been Christians for a while and have been around the Bible will be able to say that God lives in me, or I give my life, I've invited Jesus into my life. But there's one thing saying it, and there's another thing really living it. Okay, so let's go to, uh, let's go to John 14, verse 16 to 17. Okay, I might have to speed up a little. <laughs> John 14. Somebody could shout the page out, please. It's round about 1082. Okay. 16 to 17. Yes. So this is Jesus talking here now, and Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Uh, Jesus actually says, it's good for me, good for you that I go, because then the Father will send the Holy Spirit. So um, if somebody could read um, verses um, 16 and 17, please, of John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Another name for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, yep. And the world cannot accept you, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Yeah, great. He lives, he will be with you and in you. Okay, um, let's go to, so, so this, this is, is the work of the Holy Spirit, is when we get to the point where we, admit that we're sinners, we admit God's love, we repent of our sin, we uh, believe that Jesus was the Son of God who died and rose again and took the punishment for our sin, and we invite Jesus into our life, and we declare him as Lord. 
then the Holy Spirit comes into us to live in us and to empower us. And we'll come on to that. And this is rebirth. The Bible talks about us being... We have two lives, in a sense. Well, the body speaks. The Bible speaks, strictly speaking, of body, spirit and soul. But I'm just going to speak, stick to body and soul. Our human body is born and then dies. We all know, since we're here, that we are physically alive. However, we have a spiritual side. And unless we have been restored and reborn... And back into relationship with God, we are spiritually dead. Physically alive, spiritually dead. When we get called to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and we do what I just described, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and at that moment, we move from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. We move from hell to heaven as our eternal destination. And the important thing is, is not to be confused. When the Bible talks about eternal life, the Bible sometimes means heaven when it says eternal life. But be under no misunderstanding, we all have eternal life. You're going to have eternal life in hell or you're going to have eternal life in heaven. All of us have eternal life. Yeah. Um, okay. So, let's go to John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. And this is where this... Uh, you probably have heard, you don't hear it so much now, and it's probably good. Uh, used to, there used to be a phrase, a born-again Christian. Okay? A born-again Christian is an oxymoron. You, it's, you can't, no such thing, it's not an oxymoron, it's a, it's a different phrase actually. When, when you have two things together which mean the same thing. If you are a Christian, you are born again. If you are a Christian in the way that the Bible describes it, you're born again. You don't need to say a born-again Christian, it's like saying a born-again, born-again person. Um, so, John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Yeah. So, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives birth to our dead spirit. We are spiritually dead. Until the Holy Spirit rebirths us, renews us. And then we're back in right relationship with God. So if I could... I know that we're doing the role of the Holy Spirit, but in a way it works like this. Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. And through Jesus... We get back to God the Father, but all three are God. If, if, if that if that makes sense. So I'll just I'll just do that black line. And then so the final thing of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is is to reveal. The Holy Spirit reveals. Okay, so let's just have a look at that. On your notes, there are a whole load of things that the Holy Spirit does that I don't have time to go into tonight. So, the Holy Spirit assures, the Holy Spirit um, author scripture, 
Um, he, he counsels, he cleanses, creates, encourages, inspires prayer, intercedes, uh, guides in truth, helps our praying, etc., etc. There are a whole load of things which, we, which are there for you to look at, if, should you wish. But in the interest of time, I'm just going to go on to uh, expanding what I mean by reveal. Okay? Let's do the first one. So if we go to Galatians... Sorry, Monday group, we did quite a lot of this this morning, didn't we? <laughs> um, but, so Galatians chapter 5. And Peter had a great sermon on the Holy Spirit on, uh, on Sunday, being filled with the Spirit, and he's touching on some of the things that we're coming on to now. Okay, we've got the page. So, thank you. Okay. So, could somebody read um, so Galatians 5, verses um, 16 to uh, 26, please? Galatians 5, 16, it's page 1172. 1172. If you just wait for a second, please. Okay. Um, and it's verse um, 16 to the end. Thank you, Faye. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus are crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Great. Thank you, Faye. So when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, the sins, the things that you do wrong, you won't stop sinning, but you will be distressed or be uncomfortable when you do sin. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will grow this fruit. And the word is singular, fruit. 
I believe that when the fruit of the Spirit grows, all of those things grow. All. Not, you won't just get one, you, you'll get all. And as I was saying to the group this morning, there will be people in the world who do not know Jesus who will have more of these things than you do. That is because these things, uh, these things are God-given. They, this is, these things reflect the character of God. All of us are made in God's image, whether we're believers or not. And so all of us partially, imperfectly, reflect God. The way that we know that fruit of the Spirit is growing in someone's life is not what they are. It, it's the change in what they were to what they become. That's the change. And as we said this morning, it's not a change of like, um, it's like a, a self-help where you, by your own effort, you can change. This is the Holy Spirit supernaturally changing you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus, wants to reveal God in the world as being a reality. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But what did he also say? You are the light of the world. How can Jesus be the light of the world and us be the light of the world? We can only be the light of the world if it's Jesus in us. That is one of the purposes of the fruit of the Spirit is to transform us, to become more like Jesus so that people can see Jesus in us. I can't think of some, you guys, some of, some of you guys and some of the guys in the church, I can see something of Jesus in you. There can be no greater compliment for a, a Christian than for someone to see something of Jesus in them. Because if someone sees something of Jesus in them, they see something real because Jesus is real. And what does that do? That helps the work of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't it? When we, when we look like Jesus. So the, the fruit of the Spirit helps us to become more like Jesus. And the more like Jesus we become, the more evidence we actually become. The Bible says that we are the fragrance of life to those who are being saved. But the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. So we carry, Jesus, we carry Jesus with us. And for those who are interested, for those who are open, we are carriers of the fragrance of Christ. Okay. So there are, coincidentally, nine different fruits. And we'll have a look at those uh, so very, very briefly. So we've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, and, there, and I've got examples, biblical examples, on the handouts of all of those things. For those of you who may be a bit worried about this, certainly in my own life, I've never really woken up and thought that I had any more of those things. But what I have noticed is that I have less of the other things. <laughs> So, in other words, I think these things are happening because the other things are diminishing. Now, Julie is the one who knows me best, and, and she will know that I have yet, I am far, far, far short of being transformed into anywhere near the likeness of Jesus that I'd like to be. But I know that I am a different person, not just because, not, not at all because of my own efforts, but entirely because of the way that the Holy Spirit has transformed me. Uh, 
there was a n- number of incidents in my life, particularly regarding forgiveness, that I couldn't forgive in an earthly sense, but only with God. Could the Holy Spirit live within, within us without us actually knowing? Hmm. I think, t- for me, that would, that would not make sense. Yes. For the Holy Spirit to really live in you, the Holy Spirit is changing you. Yes, if you are changing, I mean, I used to be a drunk. I was terrible. And then one day, I wrecked my motor doing something really stupid in Leytonstone High Street. And after that, I never drank beer. Yeah, I think, I think there can be incidents that can change us without it necessarily being God. Don't be more of fear. Yeah, that could be just a, a, a common sense and a, a rational response yeah. to an event. I don't think that's necessarily a supernatural change. Without putting you on the spot, Ron, yeah. I knew you before you became a Christian. It's, God is at work in your life. <laughs> that's a God thing. I have been privileged to watch God working in your life over the last however many months. That's not, that's not self-help. That's God. <laughs> I'm just thinking maybe what I'm trying to say you know you said maybe you, you don't know that he's, you know the Holy Spirit living within you maybe it's because like you might not be a Christian is it possible for the Holy Spirit to live in a non-Christian person if you get what I mean no it isn't a Holy Spirit can work a Holy, yeah so it the Holy Spirit can, can work on a person and to convict a person to point them to Jesus but a Holy Spirit can't live in someone unless the Holy Spirit's been invited in you say that people, that some people that are not Christians live good lives, well, not good lives, but yeah, the right things. Yes, they do. They do. But and 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 I think we we kind of touched on that this morning. I'll just do it again. Um, it's okay. In Luke, I think Luke chapter eighteen, somebody comes up to Jesus uh, and says to Jesus, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said, who are you calling good? Only God is good. And so when we we talked about it as a group, and I'm sure that when we think about it, we will realise that although we might appear to be good or that we are capable of doing good things, when we actually properly analyse ourselves, we realise that we are not good, that none of us is good. Jesus is saying that if you say you're good, you're saying you're God. And so... If none of us are good, the question then becomes, and we've done, we did this in group, why doesn't God send everyone to hell since no one's good? Which would be a reasonable question. The reason that God doesn't is because he is good and he doesn't want us to do it, so he sent Jesus himself to pay the price, price for us. So our own goodness, Pauline, won't save us. Lots of people think it's okay, that, that, that God will be pleased with their efforts, that they're not as bad as somebody else, that uh, you know, they've, they've tried to be good and decent. Those things are worthy things. But those are not things that will save you. They were not things that will count. Before We won't be able to self-justify. We won't, on, on, the, on Judgment Day, you know, when we start to bring our stuff forward, it won't count. It will only count if, if, Jesus, if Jesus has paid the price for us. It, 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 there's a line in him which says, you know, for God the just will look on, uh, um, uh, look on us and be pardoned by Jesus. So, we, so instead of seeing us and our sin, he'll see his son who paid the price for us. That's, that's, what, that's what will happen on Judgment Day. Okay, so where are we? We have just done the fruit of the Spirit. 
And, and to allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow, it's really about... <laughs> there's a verse that when John the Baptist <coughs> says, uh, when he, people were comparing him with Jesus, he said, he, Jesus, must become more, I must become less. So the, the conditions for the Holy Spirit to grow is basically that we just need to submit. We need to, we need to, I'm always praying for my sins to be forgiven and for God to pull up the stuff in my life up by the root. This is, this is, um, this is, these, these are the, a repentant heart is, are the, uh, and a submissive heart provide the right conditions for the Holy Spirit to grow its fruit. Uh, his fruit. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and the important thing is, is also that, you know, we, we, stay, we stay connected with, with Jesus. Jesus said, when he was making an analogy, he said, my father, uh, um, uh, my father, I am the true vine, my father is a gardener. Uh, and in, in order for us to, to grow fruit, in order for us to allow the Holy Spirit to grow fruit in our lives, we need to stay connected to Jesus. If we become disconnected with Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit won't grow in our lives. We can still do ministry, we can still preach, we can still whatever it is, but if we're not connected, Jesus is not fruit. Okay, so the, the final one, the final revelation, and I'll spend a little bit of time on this, are the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, the gifts of the Spirit. So let's move on to session, your session two notes now. So the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy, Bible says the Holy Spirit gives believers gifts. And we'll look at what they might, they, they might be in a minute. But just on the subject of giftings, of talents, of abilities, all of us have natural gifts which ultimately have been given by God. So all of us have natural gifts. Sometimes those natural gifts can be lifted into the supernatural and they become something else so for example um, Bezalel in the Bible I believe he was a naturally talented artisan and a craftsman but God's spirit came on him and lifted him to another level and he was the one who made the Ark of the Covenant so that's a natural gift being taken supernaturally to a different level and then the Bible tells us there are supernatural gifts so these are gifts that are not that uh, operate outside of the natural. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Supposing I were to take Pauline's um, cup, I were to pray to the Lord that the cup would be full of tea and the cup was full of tea, all of you would agree that there was no way I could have done that with any kind of earthly talent. So, so if something is not something has been done that's outside of natural laws, it can only have been done in the supernatural. So let's have a look at uh, what do I what we mean by that. So, there are nine fruits of the spirit, and classically, there are nine gifts of the spirit. So, if we go to um, Corinthians, one Corinthians, and I'll give you the page, chapter twelve. One one five three. 
In fact, it would be great if you wanted to do a little bit of reading afterwards to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. Chapter 13, you may have read or heard read at weddings. Um, it's, a, it's a passage about love. As a teacher, I find that passage quite extraordinary. Chapter 12 is, a, is, a, is a, a passage about teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14 is a, uh, is a passage about the teaching of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you would have thought that those two would have been together. But bang in the middle of it, Paul writes this absolutely outstanding passage on love. It's almost like as he's writing this letter, that he, he does some teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then he thinks to himself, hang on a minute, it's all about love. And then you see this absolutely stunning chapter, and then he goes back to his teaching. I find it, I find, I find it amazing. If you'd, if you'd really planned that, you would have put that on its own somewhere else. But it comes bang in the middle of two, of two teaching chapters. Anyway, so let's go to, um, so what verse are we looking for here? Um, from verse 7 onwards, probably. So could somebody please read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. I don't mind arguing. Now to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another is the healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinction between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them. Great. Okay. So these are the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if we look at them, there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of them, some of them also have a non-supernatural equivalent. So, for example, the message of knowledge. Uh, knowledge, uh, I, I would explain what it means in the supernatural, but we can all have knowledge in the natural. Wisdom, we can have wisdom in the natural. Um, Healing, not gifts of healing, well, well, medical healing, but this is a little bit different. Miraculous powers, certainly not in the natural. Prophecy, not in the natural. Speaking in different kinds of tongues, not in the natural. Interpretation of tongues, not in the natural. And discernment, dis- distinguishing between spirits, not in the natural. So some of, them, some of them appear as if they might be natural gifts, but the Bible is telling us that all of these are supernatural gifts, okay? and, and there are nine of them. Why are these gifts given? There are two classical reasons why these gifts are given, but I think there's one which comes above both. The two classical reasons for the gifts being given is that they edify the church. Um, we can look at we can the, the verses are in here, so you can you can look at them afterwards. To edify the church, which means to uplift to benefit, to nourish, to uh, the church. The second reason classically given is that the, um, the Holy Spirit is give, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to edify us individually. So the church first, 
us second. I think there is one, my personal view is that there's one that comes, comes above that, and it's this. So if we go to uh, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation is given for the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So there we see common good. But I think manifestation of the spirit is itself a reason. The word manifestation means proof. Evidence of. Okay. So to each one the evidence of the proof of the spirit is given. When somebody exercises a gift of the Holy Spirit, particularly one that doesn't have a natural equivalent, it is evidencing the reality of a supernatural God. It is a revelation of God himself. Yes, it's for the common good, and yes, it will edify us, but it is a revelation of God himself. I think that anyone who's heard a genuine prophecy, seen a genuine healing or a genuine miracle or has had someone come up to give them a word of knowledge that no one else, could, that there's no way that person could have known in the natural. That in and, in and of itself is evidence of the reality of a supernatural God. See, I... It's only recently I've been starting to think about this because I've never, never really used it when I've been talking to other people. But, so for example, I can speak in tongues. It's a language that I wasn't taught, that I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Now, uh, and I've thought many times about if someone asked me who wasn't a believer whether I should speak in tongues. So far I haven't. I'm not quite sure what, what the right thing to do with that is. But... If anybody knows me, after they've known me for a while, and I tell them that I can speak in tongues, it's a little bit like the C.S. Lewis thing. Either I'm lying, or I'm deluded, so now I'm babbling to myself for the sole purpose of convincing myself that I can speak in tongues, and convincing anyone else who will listen, or anyone else who will believe me that I can speak in tongues, or... I can speak in tongues, and it's been given to me supernaturally. So, so when you, if you have a gift of the Spirit, it's evidence in and of itself, unless you really have, have gone insane or are lying or, make, or are making up, that God is real. Would you agree? If you heard me speak in tongues, you would think so. The thing, the thing is, when someone, when, someone is speaking, when someone is speaking in tongues, it sounds like a language. I, I'm not sure if any of you have watched Game of Thrones, um, but uh, it's a thing that I, I read it and, I, and I've, I've really enjoyed watching it. They, when people make up a language on television, they spend a lot of time making up a fictitious language to make it sound like a language. Because we are very good at detecting what... Uh, sounds like a language in terms of its structure and its sounds and what is made up and I, I've heard when you hear someone speak in tongues very often it sounds like to me many of them sound like languages a language I don't understand but it's uh, you, if you haven't heard of this point in it's fine I don't, under, I don't really know what speaking in tongues is so speaking in t well, I'll just ask the question because I'll come on to, um, so speaking in tongues is 
when you have a gift of a gift, a supernatural gift from the Lord, you are in control of it. So, if I wanted right now, <laughs> Lord, I don't know whether I should or shouldn't. I could I could speak in a language that wasn't mine, that I haven't been taught, but is a language that God has given me. When I speak it, it sounds a little bit Arabic, slightly slightly African. It's not the language we know. No, well, it, it could be a modern language, or it could be an ancient one. It it has been the the ironic thing is that when the when the when the gifts of tongues were first given, people could understand what was being said. When, when uh, on, on Pentecost, uh, the gift of tongues were given to basically to evangelize uh, the pilgrims who had come um, to uh, Jerusalem for I guess it must have been it was essentially harvest festival. So there were, there were two Jewish festivals that celebrated harvest. One was the, I think, the Feast of Weeks, which was the in-gathering. Um, and then the second one, which is what it was called, was the, uh, was the harvest. Um, and so pilgrims would come who were Jewish believers from different countries, would have come to Jerusalem because you had to come. If you were a Jewish man, you had to go to Jerusalem three times a year. One for the Passover, uh, one for the, this harvest festival, which I think may have been the Feast of Weeks. Sorry if I've, if I've got that wrong. Uh, and the other one was the Feast of Tabernacles, where they, they would have lived in tents for a week. Um, and for those three festivals, if you're a Jewish man, you had to come back to Jerusalem. But there were plenty of people who were Jews who lived from different countries. So they would have come from Ethiopia, they would have come from places that didn't speak uh, the language that Peter and the disciples speak. Almost definitely was Aramaic. Perhaps they spoke Greece, Greek, almost definitely Aramaic. And so God wanted to get the gospel out to people who spoke in different languages, and the gift of tongues originally was given in languages that people could understand. Very soon after that, it seems as if it became a language that people couldn't understand. I don't quite know why, why God flipped it, but that's, that, that's what's happened. So, in the Bible, you get two gifts. One is the gift of tongues, and the other one is the gift of interpretation of tongues. So that if, if you use tongues in public, so if I were to stand up in church and speak in, a, in, in my tongue... Somebody should interpret it. God will give that interpretation to somebody else. I've never spoken, I've spoken in, I got the gift of tongues when I was 16. I've never spoken in tongues in public. I've never felt. I just, I just use it myself. The funny, the funny thing is, is quite often if, if I'm, if I hear a worship song or I see someone praising Jesus or I see God at work, I will just suddenly start talking in tongues. It's not like I'm not in control, but it just kind of like a thing that comes. So, um, does anyone have a view on that, by the way, about whether you should speak in tongues if someone asks you? Sorry, uh, yeah. That's actually what I was going to say, because the very first time I experienced this, I was in the Lake District with some people that were friends of people I'd only just met. We were in this chapel in the middle of like a wherever hill slash mountain, and the thing is, is coming out of the church, this guy who was a born-again Christian, inverted commas, he claimed to be, all of a sudden started to do what this was. Yeah. And I said to my Christian friend back home locally, I said, yeah, he came out. And my friend said, and she looked at me like, and she was like, what? She said, you shouldn't just suddenly start talking in tongues in front. And it really freaked me out. And yeah. then when I was at Restore Church, where I was at at the time, they actually, the guy stood up and said, right, I'm going to start talking in tongues now. And he started to just... And I'm thinking, like you said, where's the translator? And it's almost like the way it came across, people said, it's like, I'm talking in tongues, I've got this gift, but you're not, not involved almost. And there was no translation. And it comes across as, A, somebody just does it in your face when you're completely walking with the countryside. And they yep. the and just start doing this. 
They don't even tell you what you're doing. I've never experienced it. I found out like, what the hell's going on. And the other woman was a Christian explained it only after. And then the other thing is, if it's in the church, fine. But there was no translator, like you said. They just were like doing it in their own little bubble. So you're completely yeah. excluded. And he's up there on the mic. And I found this all a bit. I think this is a bit bizarre. And right. I, I, I think I think it would be fair to say that it's been one of the criticisms of um, the way that the gifts of the Spirit have been used is that um, I, I can be careful what I say here. Um, as a teenager, I, I went to a Pentecostal church, an Elim Pentecostal church, and there was a view in Elim at that time, although it's not as prevalent now, that you couldn't be a Christian unless you unless you had been filled with the Spirit, and the evidence of you being filled with the Spirit was that you spoke in tongues. I, I think that. Um, I think that some of the language around the gift of the Spirit hasn't been helpful. Uh, and I think that because of that, people, uh, and sometimes uh, the gifts of the Spirit haven't been properly controlled. And sometimes, I think sometimes the devil has potentially used situations to... I have great scepticism about some of the things that people claim to be of the Holy Spirit and I think because of those things that people have been reported that some churches have shied away from anything to do with the uh, anything to do with the supernatural gifts and other churches have overemphasized them I think generally speaking to if I'm honest that the church as a whole has by far underemphasized them um, I think that as Peter rightly said on Sunday, and I've been really thinking about this, if, that, if the fruit of the Spirit is meant to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, the gifts of the Spirit are what enables us to carry out the ministry of, the, of Jesus. So it's the power. So, that, so we need the gifts of the Spirit because they are in and of themselves demonstrations of the supernatural reality of God edify the church, edify ourselves, and give us the power that we need to minister. Sorry, it's true because when you said that I was in Epping and I went to Eden Pentecostal, it was the actual building that was a Methodist. And at the time, I went to that church plus St John's. So that was in the morning, I sang in the choir, and at 11 o'clock, I went to Eden Pentecostal, it was held in the Methodist. And I don't know about the talking in tongues, but one thing is they did do the healing as well, and they used more the gifts, you know. And I, I actually got somebody, the actual. The main guy came and he did the healing with me. And then, and then a while after, when he asked his other half to do it, she did not have the gift. I'm sorry, but the, everyone said he had the gift. The healing, he came. It was all there. Yeah. She was more just doing an action, whereas he actually had the gift. Because you experienced yeah. it. And you actually felt it. And my friend said, did you feel it? Of course. I said, of course I did. Is there... Yeah. Know, some of these... Some of these... like to say plain... And some people actually have the gift and actually use it, the whole shebang, you know, the whole package. Okay. <laughs> no, you're right. The, the gift of healing is, is a supernatural gift. But Jesus also asks all disciples to pray for the sick. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so mm. I will pray for the sick, but I don't have the gift of healing. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't pray for the sick. And mm. it doesn't mean that... Um, it doesn't mean that God aren't, won't answer my prayer because I don't have the gift of healing. But the gift of healing is... It doesn't mean they want to get healed either. No. Even if you don't have the gift, you pray for them, they can still be healed. Yes, still be healed, yes. Oh, well. Yes, definitely. And so, um, 
But it is a, it is a, super, it is a supernatural gift. So I'm just going to quickly run through these. But the, the thing that I want you to take away, and I've got five minutes left, the thing I want to take away most of all is that we describe ourselves, we at St Mary's, would describe ourselves as a charismatic um, uh, evangelical church. So evangelical church basically means that the, they believe in the authority of the Bible uh, and we believe uh, in the salvation, uh, the salvation through Jesus alone would be a, a, a basic summary. We believe in the truth of the Bible and we believe in salvation of, um, from our sins through the work of Jesus. We also would claim to be a charismatic church and we are a charismatic church and we are um, an, an evangelical church but if we are an evangelical church, when was the last time you spoke to somebody about Jesus? About, about the good news, about the bad news, and the good news, about what you need to do to come to a right relationship with God. So that would be a test, wouldn't it? If you claim to be an evangelical church, that would be a reasonable question. If you claim to be a charismatic church, when was the last time you asked for a gift of the Spirit? That's what I would be asking. I, I would be asking the church. It says here. So if we go to chapter fourteen, so just a little bit on. Paul says this in 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 one Corinthians chapter fourteen verse one. This is on page one one five four. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Paul is encouraging us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit wants to give us gifts. And, as, uh, and again, as Peter said on Sunday, let's persevere in asking for the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, I can speak in tongues and I think that I have the gift of wisdom. It's very hard to confirm that. But I'm praying for the gift of prophecy. I'm praying for the gift of healing. And I'm praying mostly for the gift of discernment, especially for the gift of discernment when I'm witnessing to somebody. We should be ambitious. We should. The God of all creation lives in us. Come on, guys. Let's, let's really get into asking God for gifts of the Spirit on a, and keep asking. Keep asking. Why wouldn't you want to have more of the gifts of the Spirit? Why wouldn't you want to have more power? Why wouldn't you want to... I want, to, I want so badly to reach the loss that I will have whatever God gives me. And I will keep asking. Hi. Hi. Nice to you. Um, our niece is finished. Yep. So we're going to lock up outside. Would you like okay. to leave the gate open or pull the gate as if it's closed? As if it's closed would be great. Thank Good. you. Brilliant. Thanks uh, a lot. Yeah, no worries. Thanks oh, a lot. We'll keep the, the padlock and stuff. Uh, yeah, we have, yes. No, you don't need to lock, lock it up. Do you, do you, do you, no, what I mean is I don't need to leave you my key. You've got a key. Somewhere. You've got a key, yes. Thank you. I'm going in. Yeah, thanks. I'm going out that back gate. So I can. He doesn't lock that. Yeah, okay. No, he doesn't. No, it's just with the front. Okay. Well, uh, well, I'm just going to go, just going to quickly whiz through the nine. I've got a couple of minutes left. I said I finished half past and I will. So um, we're just going to quickly whiz through uh, what the nine gifts of the Spirit are, just just very briefly. For me, what they are is not as important as us asking for them. I, I would just love to be a church, uh, for us to be a church where people are moving in the gifts of the Spirit in control. Okay, so. Very quickly, through the nine, <laughs> in two minutes. The gift of faith, okay? The gift of faith, uh, faith again, is, is, it can work at uh, a, a normal level. Uh, this is how we begin our relationship with God. But this gift of faith is um, 
a supernatural confidence which arises within a person when faced with a situation or need that God will come through. That, uh, and even if God doesn't come through, their faith is unshaken. So, for example, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they said, we're not bow, bow down and worship. Uh, God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and save it. That would be an example of uh, a supernatural uh, gift of faith. Message of knowledge. Okay, knowledge is the supernatural provision of information that you could not humanly possibly have known. So, for example, uh, you know, if I were to go up to... Ju- no, I can't say Judy's my wife. If I go up to you, you Ron, and I were to say, uh, Ron, the Lord has revealed to me that such and such a situation is going on in your life, and uh, you knew that there is no way that I could have known that. Because only you knew it. You hadn't told anybody else. You would, you would know that that was uh, a gift of knowledge. That's something that God had supernaturally given me. A message of wisdom is the supernatural understanding of what to do with a piece of knowledge. It's having God's heart and mind um, once you know something. That, that, so that knowing something may have been supernaturally revealed. It may not have been. So let's, let's give you an example of a gift of knowledge and a gift of wisdom at the same time. When, um, <laughs> it might be a couple of minutes over. Um, in, in, the Old Test- in the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, has a dream and he calls forward people to, um, to interpret his dream, but he doesn't tell those who he's asking to interpret the dream what the dream is. He doesn't even say what the dream is. He said, I want you to tell me what the dream is and what it means. Who did that? Daniel did that. How did he do that? He had a message of knowledge, so he knew what the dream was. And he had um, um, the the gift of, of wisdom in that he was able to say what the dream meant. These, in the, these were in the days prior to the gifts of the Spirit being given, but evidence of them being used in a form by Daniel. Okay, so we're very quickly. Gifts of healing are pretty obvious. This is not medical healing. This is, uh, this is a supernatural healing by God. Miraculous powers. So miraculous powers, Jesus did this lots of times. Walked on water, uh, changed um, bread and fish into uh, that could only feed a few, into etc., etc. Those have been miraculous powers. Prophecy. Whew. Prophecy is uh, basically a, a, is a word of God for now, for some time in the future, or for some time long in the future. But it's basically where a person is acting as God's mouthpiece. You may hear some people say that prophecy today could be 100% right, 50% right, or totally wrong. I do not agree with that. The gift of prophecy, if someone is a prophet, what they say is of God. And in my opinion, the gift of prophecy is extremely rare. I do not know a single person, maybe one, in all of my life who I think had the gift of prophecy. I think people can move in the prophetic, so can people can have a prophetic word, but to actually have the gift of prophecy I think is very rare. The Bible says uh, you, the test of, a prophet, uh, test of a prophet is what the prophet says comes true. Um... Speaking of different kinds of tongues, we've done that. Interpretation of tongues, we've done that. And then the final one is the gift of distinguishing between spirits. 
So this is where um, uh, this is where the spiritual battle going on. It's you being able to determine whether the motivation for a particular action has something demonic behind it. When something, it's it's something in your spirit which. Everything can seem normal, but there's something in your spirit, if you have a gift of discernment, which will warn you that there's something going on which is in the spiritual realm. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't control the time super well there, but I am, I'm going to finish now. It's difficult when you're trying to crush two sessions into one and you haven't done it before. Uh, but hope, hopefully it was of some benefit. But as I said before, guys, the most important thing for me in this is not that we know more about the Holy Spirit, it's that we know the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's not that we know about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's that we know the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's what will change not only us, but will change the lives of everyone we come into contact with. So um, I'm going to close now. Um, stick around after us if you, if, if you like. Um, but uh, thanks for coming. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here tonight and just pray, Lord, that um, as we leave, that we might take something uh, of what was uh, shared tonight, not only into our minds, but into our hearts and out into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you will help us become more like you so that others may see you in us and that we might move in your power so that others might see you in us too. I pray, Lord, that the result of uh, this evening would be um, hearts that are on fire for more of you so that others might find you in your name. Amen. Okay. Thank you, guys. Two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah, Mondays. Yeah. So then, so the next one will be what day? Which today? Monday, the thirty-first.